0: Father, this evening, once again, we thank you for the gift of life. Every day is a gift from you that we might order our steps according to your word and bring glory for your name. As we come together here in thy house, there's only one voice that matters, the voice of the living God. For you alone have the words of life. We have come together in this night for one purpose, to hear from you, to learn of you, that we might be imitators of Christ, that the hearing of your word might bring light and life in each one of us. Give us that spirit of understanding and of revelation and that strength to obey and to walk in that revelation. Once again, we surrender our minds, our hearts, our will. And as we sang, Lord, transform us in the likeness and the image of your only begotten Son. Each day, Lord, speak to us, Father, now. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wednesdays, first few weeks, we've been looking at how God's house, how God's creation, there is order in his creation. On Sundays we've been looking at foundations. Okay, How you build. Last Sunday you looked on a sure foundation. How you can make the foundation sure. And that one text which struck my mind through it all. The message was turn away from iniquity. That's how you know your foundation is sure in practice and daily. The word of God has to be theory and practice. By practice, you know, your foundations are sure that we are turning constantly away from iniquity. That's why repentance is an ongoing thing in our life because as we understand the word of God and God reveals us to... As his heart, we only get to know what the depth of iniquity, the mystery of iniquity, lawlessness is, and we keep on turning away. Yes, there is a repentance when we came to the Lord, but there is a continuous repentance as we continue growing in the Lord, turning away from iniquity, turning towards righteousness, until there is a, like itself says about Jesus in the book of Hebrews, there's a deep-rooted hatred in us of evil and a love for righteousness. And therefore the joy of the Lord increases in our life. So if we started this on Psalm 119 and verse 133. Order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word and sure foundation. Let iniquity have any dominion over me. Have no dominion. That's how we know he's ordering his steps. His my steps, your steps in his word, that is how we know. Iniquity has less and less power in our lives. But when we use that term, order my steps in thy word, this is from the old covenant. In the new covenant, it takes a much more deeper meaning than the written word of God because we see the revelation in John 1.1 1, 1, where scripture says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So it goes beyond the written word to the very person of Christ. Jesus himself is the word. So if you read Psalm 119, 133, in our context of people who's got both the old to learn from and the new covenant by which we walk, you have to read, order my steps in Jesus Christ, in him. The person of Jesus Christ, not just the written word, the very person of Jesus Christ, so that iniquity will have no dominion over me. That is why Christ is our everything, our way, our truth, and our life. We saw over the past weeks, God is a God of incredible order. Everything in creation after the fall of the demonic, the angels, fall of the angels, who were who are now demons, and the fall of man, everything in creation has to be restored to the order of a holy, we sang about that holiness, a righteous, which is not the same as holiness, righteous and a loving God, holy, righteous and a loving God, everything has to be restored to that order. And where God's order is established by the word and by the spirit of God, there will be true righteousness, true peace that is not shaken by circumstances and true joy which is abiding. Okay, There is true righteousness, there is true peace and true joy which the Holy Spirit says is the kingdom of God. So first... When we as individuals come into the kingdom of God, from the world we come into the kingdom of God, we should first accept God's order for us. Okay? Order for us. If you are a male, you are a male. So be content for being a man. That's God's order. He didn't make any mistake, okay? If you're a woman, don't try to be a man. God didn't make a mistake. Absolutely no mistake. Be content being a woman. Because that's God's perfect plan for you. Then only we will fall into God's order for man and woman. So we saw from First Corinthians eleven three. This is I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Because there's absolute confusion in the world, not in, in the shouldn't be in the church about men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men, and absolutely confused. That they don't know who their head is. So those of us who've been born again into the kingdom of God should be absolutely clear who you are in Christ. And God has established in this order headship. At the micro level he has, he has established headship in the home and the macro level he has headship over all of creation. And Jesus himself voluntarily submits to that headship and says God is my head. So last time we met on a venester, remember we learned some Greek words. We found God is Theos. Christ is Christos, man is aner, and woman is gune. Woman is never called aner in the Bible, and man is never called gune in the Bible. Okay, understand. Headship is kefale, which means set over. We also learned authority is exosia, power is dynamis. And hypotasso is submission. Without these, these three go together. Authority, power and submission go together. Don't take submission out, then there is no authority and power working in the kingdom of God. You can have it in the world. You can have it in the world. You go to government offices and you go to government institutions, you will sometimes say, managers saying hello to the uh, pune. Then later you understand pune is the head of the union. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. In the kingdom of God, it works like the feathers of a rooster's Top to down. Okay? Authority is exosia. Power is dynamis, And hypotaso is submission. But the devil being the first rebel has done a very good job of making submission a very dirty word. That's why the minute you heard uh, submission, I see wrinkles on your forehead. Submission does not infer any difference, inequality, or value. God the Father is the head of Christ. But we know God the Father and God the Son are both God and equal and the same. In Philippians 2 verse 5 and 6, scripture says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. If you are saying that I'm equal to the Father, it wouldn't be he was stealing something from the Father because he was equal to the Father. Okay, he's equal to the Father. But he said, I come under his headship. I choose to be under him. So scripture tells us, let this mind or attitude of Christ be in us. What is that attitude? Often when we think about the mind of Christ, we think of wisdom, knowledge, power, all that is true. But we rarely, rarely associate with an absolutely submissive mind to the will of the Father. So in Philippians 2.5, when scripture is actually saying, let this mind be in you, it is talking about that submissive mind of Christ which came absolutely totally under the headship of his father though he existed from time immemorial he is not a created being he is equally god with the father and the spirit okay submission in matthew 20 and verse 28 just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many the question is whom was he serving Because submission will always lead to serving somebody. God or man. He wasn't serving man. He was serving God. We were the beneficiaries of his service. Man did not ask, come and save us. God told him, go and save them. So when God said, go and save them, he is serving his father. Yet we are the beneficiaries of his service. Peter did not understand this. That Jesus is absolutely submitting to the will of his father. And serving him. And we are the beneficiaries of that service. Peter did not understand this. And he misunderstood Jesus' actions. In one of the final scenes before Jesus' death. In John 17 and verse 8. Jesus and Peter. The washing of the feet. For I have given them. No. not seventeen, eight, uh, thirteen, eight. Yeah, yeah, thirteen, eight. I'm sorry. Peter said unto him, "Thank you. Thou shalt never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me." It's very strange. Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, and Peter says, "I will not let you wash my feet," because he's thinking in terms of if I, if you wash my feet, you become my servant. I will not let you do that. And he's being absolutely true with no guile in his heart. He's saying, you can't wash my feet, master. I am your servant. You are my master. I should be washing your feet. Just like John the Baptist told Jesus, you should be baptizing me and not me, you. And Jesus said, you are not doing me a favor. I'm obeying my father. And when I obey my father, that's when righteousness is being fulfilled in the kingdom. Jesus is in effect saying, you are stopping me from serving my father. And if you do that, then you can have no part with me. Can have no part with me. Often we too are caught in the same predicament. We serve Christ and people are blessed by our service. which people sometimes misunderstand, we are called to serve them. Okay, But like Peter, people may have their own opinions of how they would like to receive that service. Especially when you are in ministry. And if we bow to that, we stop serving Christ and we become a servant of man. And then we have no part in Christ anymore in that area. Let me buttress this point once again from Scripture because you don't have to listen to me. You have to listen to Scripture. Paul is caught in a situation like this and he makes it very clear in Galatians 1 and verse 10. Now do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. He's saying, when I go preaching, men have different opinions about what I should preach and how I should preach. Because they think I'm their servant. But Paul says, no, I'm God's servant. And if I do not serve Christ, then I end up serving man. If I'm going to change the whole tune of my life, my ministry into pleasing man at the cost of displeasing God, I cease having any part with Christ. Okay, so understand when we talk about headship, authority, power, submission, service, they're all connected. Because for power to return to the church authority must return to the church. And authority is the last time I spoke there was a little confusion but let me explain to you. Authority is from top down. Top down. But it is released in terms of power down up through submission. Authority is from top up. Unless God when God tells me and I come under that authority and submit. Power is released into my life. Authority is top down. Power in the kingdom is bottom up. That's what Jesus was talking about. So God works in the church, not in the world. He he oversees, he's sovereign over the world, he's in control but he's intimately involved in his work in the church. God doesn't have much interest in the world except the Salvation, that the word of salvation would go forth. But the church or ecclesia, which means called out once, it is in them that the Spirit of God is working and trying to bring the order of God to homes, first homes, husbands, men, to be submitted totally to the authority or headship of Christ, women, the wives, to their husbands, and children obeying and honoring their parents. When this order is established, when these individuals and families come together in the church, you will see there will be power released. Okay? In your case, it may be many, many, many bit different because of individuals alone being saved, but the principle remains. Okay? That's what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 43. That's what we see. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them by saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is how the church began. If you go back to the first verse, the first call after repentance is to separate from an untoward, KJB will use the term untoward, in KJB will use it's okay, untoward we will use the term perverse, which means a rebellious generation. The first call is separate yourself from a rebellious generation. There are two generations. One is a generation of rebels who refuse to come under the authority of God, a God-ordained authority. And there is another generation that is a generation forever trying to come under God's order. First thing God says is that you belong to the kingdom, come out from that untoward generation. Only those who submitted to that call to come out of that untoward generation were baptized. They submitted, submitted, because in baptism you have to submit. Nobody baptizes themselves. Unlike in incredible rare cases like Bilki Sheikh had to get baptized in the bathtub by herself because she was in Pakistan. But later, if I am right, she got baptized again by somebody else. I am not very sure. I read it long time ago. But in baptism, you always have to submit to somebody else. Okay, so they submitted through the waters of baptism. The problem is we have always connected baptism to sin. No, you are saved by the blood of Jesus, by the work of Jesus on the cross from sin. But baptism is when we are saved and separated from the rebellious ways of this world. The world is under the sway of the evil one and we were part of it. And it is in baptism we are saying, I'm out of that generation. I come out. We were all part of that rebellious generation. So in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 6. He made. And you. That's we all. He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive through Christ. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of rebellion. Well rebellion is disorder. In God's kingdom it's disorder. The sons of rebellion among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. First, he, by grace, he saves us. Yeah, that verse, that verse, not there. Go back to five. Okay? First, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Then when you go into the water, it's your burial of the old man. You are hidden in Christ. And then when you are hidden in Christ, you are also uh, raised up together with Christ. Into the highest place. With Christ. And submission is the key. It's an act of humility. Everyone who goes to baptism humbles themselves into the hands of somebody else and says baptize me. You hear the word, you submit to the word and in action you follow into the waters of baptism and God says I have raised you up with Christ in the high places. Why? Because that's the principle God promises in 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. And that was the principle for Jesus. The minute he steps out into the public. The first thing is he humbles himself under the mighty hand of his father. Allows himself to be baptized by a mere mortal man. And God will exalt him point by point by point will exalt him. Because he continually submits to the headship of his father. That is what Acts chapter 2 actually teaches. Those who truly submit to baptism that is separation from a rebellious world, also will devout themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 2. They continued steadfastly, devotedly, not just casually. Casually would be still partaking of the rebellious ways of the world. Devotedly, steadfastly, to what? The apostles' doctrine steadfastly or devotedly to genuine fellowship, devouting or steadfastly in the breaking of bread, which is self-examination, and devotedly to prayer. And what happens? When this happened, there came into the church the authority They are under the authority of God, the headship of Jesus Christ, and power is released. When you come under the authority, genuine authority of Christ Jesus, and the headship of Christ is really established in our lives, there will be all a reverence that will come upon every soul within the body, in the church. A fear will come. This is not being afraid, but a reverence of awe will come, and scripture says, Miracles were part of their life. These people were not gathering for miracles. No. Miracles were gathering and chasing them. Because they were under the authority of God. And his order. And therefore, power was released into their midst. Remember, that's what the church has to come back before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus teaches us through his life. That what he meant, I am the way. That his life is our very way. No religious teacher can or ever has said or can say that to my understanding that I am the way. Not Krishna, not Buddha, not Muhammad. Nobody can say I am the way, learn from me. Nobody can say. His absolute submission to his father in every area of his life was central to his victory. He struggled like all of us. Book of Hebrews is very clear. But he submitted and obeyed at every point. Because he willingly, that's a key word, willingly. Remember Isaiah saying, if you're willing and obedient. He willingly came under God's order. And therefore God put all authority and power into his hands. But even there, at the highest position, now God has given him the highest position in the heavens, he's still working. And serving his father. Do you know that? He's still serving and working for his father. Scripture actually says that once he has subdued all his enemies, then he will hand over the kingdom to the father. He's still serving. He's at the highest place in heavens. There's nothing above him except his father. But even there, he's still serving and working for his father's interest. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God. To God. When the father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. He's still working. When he has put an end to all rule and all authority and all power that brings disorder into his father's universe. There are so many rulers and powers and authorities, self-appointed demons and men who know lots. Majority that doesn't come under God's authority and he's dealing with all of them one by one. Once he has brought an end to it all. That's after the thousand year rule. Once he has put an end to it all. And God's order is established in this universe, in his new creation. He will hand the kingdom over to the Father. It's interesting if you read verse 23 also. First Corinthians. But each one in his own order. Each one. Even in resurrection, there is an order. Each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. There is an order for everything. It's not random. Everything God says, there is an order in my kingdom. God is working out his order in his creation. And we learn from Jesus who overcame. How did he overcome? Through that powerful principle of submission. That's how Jesus overcame. You overcome in the kingdom of God through the principle of submission to God's authority. In the world, everything is judged for what is seen outwardly. Remember, everything is seen and judged by what is seen outwardly. It can be looks, it can be talents, it can be eloquence. All this is outward. But God, when he looks, looks primarily for one thing. He's not looking at any of those things. One thing. You know what he's looking for? In First Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, The hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What is he talking about? A gentle and a meek spirit. God says... That is a beauty that comes only from the principle of submission. And God says, that's what I'm looking for first. The world looks for looks. Wow, he might be a good preacher. He's six feet two. He's a good looking dude. He's eloquent. If we appoint him as a pastor, the crowds will come. Oh, he can sing too. Oh, she's stunning. She would be a good worship leader. She definitely can get the boys in. You know how the world looks? See how the world looks? That's how the world looks. But God says, that's not what I look. I look for that beauty that is inside. And that beauty, the gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God, that beauty can come only through the principle of submission. That's what God tells even Prophet Samuel. Remember? Saul Like anybody else, looked at all the tall, handsome sons of Jesse. All smart, all tall, all bathed, all dressed, all anointed. But God saw only David. Where was David? Dutifully, watching over his father's few sheep. Not a hint of anger or resentment in his heart that he is out there in the wilderness taking care of his father's sheep while all the brothers are dressed up for a party. Nothing. Absolutely meek and a quiet spirit. And God must have said, what a beautiful kid. What a beautiful kid. That is my boy. That's my boy. So when Samuel ran out of options and he asked, is there anybody else? And the father says, yeah, there is one in the field. That itself is a testimony meaning there is only one I could send to the field. On a day like this, nobody will go. I know that boy will listen. But I never counted him to be anybody. But God says, you don't realize what beauty is in God's eyes. That boy has a meek and a quiet spirit. Meek and a quiet and a gentle spirit. He understands the principle of submission in the kingdom. That's the boy that I have chosen. Are you getting the picture? This is where Christ comes in. Christ is our model. Okay. Okay. That's why God says, humble thyself with the mighty hand of God. So that the rebels will say, I will only humble myself to God and nobody else. God says, you are already a rebel. God says, I don't do stuff like that. For 30 years, my son was submitted to his parents. Absolutely. Simple parents. Semi-illiterate parents. And he is God. Absolutely submitted for 30 years. As long as he was in his father's house, he submitted. And he says, and then when he came out, he was under my headship completely, didn't let anybody push him. So God says, do you understand this principle? Now this is my personal take, okay, please don't go out and make it into a GTC doctrine. I am entitled to my opinion, so I'm saying this is my opinion, I may be true. Have you noticed in the Old Testament how many times, if I'm right, 51 times or 52 times the term the angel of the Lord is mentioned? But in certain cases, from the first time it is mentioned in terms of Hagar, the angel is A in capital, the angel of the Lord that comes. And the angel of the Lord who comes with two others to Abraham's house, continuing from that to Samson's birth, all the time you see the angel of the Lord. Hagar, Abraham, Manoha, Jacob, Moses, burning bush, Joshua. But there are other appearances of angels also, which those angels are not the angel of the Lord. When this angel of the Lord appears, you will see he accepts worship. And he acts as if he is God. So the presumption always, theologically, is this is Jesus. Pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. But if he is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, why does God address him in scripture as the angel of the Lord? This is my take. My take is, first. Jesus is teaching the angels a lesson. I am God, but I will represent myself as an angel to the angelic host that I will come under submission and teach Lucifer a lesson that power comes, authority comes from submission. All before the new covenant, I will be called the angel of the Lord. I will serve my father and show him what submission brings authority and power into my life. And then in the new covenant I believe he comes as man and shows man. You know you want authority. You want power. You want holiness. You want righteousness. You want to be in the nature of God. Learn from me. I have become man now. I'm not saying he became angel. I'm saying he took the role of an angel. And he said I am God but you can call me the angel of the Lord. Let me teach Lucifer and his one third a lesson. Now let me teach the Adamic race a lesson. Understand God's order? Where there is order, there is great power and peace released in our situations. Because That's how God has fashioned his new creation. That's how he has fashioned his new creation. Order. Okay? Let's turn for a minute to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1 and 2. He showed me, this is... The new creation. Okay. And everything is over. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. See one throne, two people. Okay, one throne, two people. They're equal. Yet the Lamb says, You are my God. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, we are not looking at that, but in connection with what we are looking here. Do you see the river flowing? Because now rainy season has begun here, okay? Kind of beginning. Does this river overflow its banks? The river of God never overflows its banks. It flows in its appointed order. And therefore, wherever it flows, it brings life. When floods come, rivers overflow their banks and it causes havoc and destruction. Havoc and destruction. Two things you need to notice about this river. One, it is crystal clear, meaning there is no pollution of flesh at all. No pollution at all. Second, it flows in the order designed by God. Therefore, it brings life. Think in terms of one of our own rivers, let's say, River Krishna. It soon, once the rains continue the way it is, it will be flooded. And then we will be hearing this Patanam and that Patanam is all underwater. And floods, people dying, cattle, crops, everything being destroyed. But if you know about Krishna river, it also has what is called the Krishna canal. You have never heard Krishna canal causing destruction. Because the waters in Krishna canal is controlled. It goes to places that are parched and brings life and not destruction. Have you noticed it? Why? Why? Because there is order in one and this breaks the order and creates havoc. That's God's order. That's the reason. That's why God says order comes only when there is God ordained and godly headship. Then the power of God flows without creating havoc. It brings life wherever it goes. That is what it means. The head of Christ is God. So if you think of Jesus as a river, he flowed only as ordained by his father. He comes in the flesh, shows us my thoughts, my words, my actions will be absolutely be controlled by my head, by my father. Therefore, you will see the absolute peace and power he had over circumstances he walked under. Wherever his father sent him, he brought life, even on the cross. He brought life. He brought life. One thing I told our dear pastor who is going through his sickness, I had to speak to him one on one. I told him, dear brother, my son, remember this. Our first call in life is as a shepherd, not as a father not as a husband because the calling and the gifts are irrevocable you can cease tomorrow being a father if your children die you can cease tomorrow being a husband if your wife die but you can never cease being a shepherd once you have been called as a shepherd therefore remember and learn from the shepherd the shepherd when he's on the cross he's still ministering still ministering father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Definitely you will be in with paradise with me tonight. Never forget your call. That when people come to see you. They should go back encouraged. We don't need sympathy. We don't need sympathy. Even in our sick beds. We comfort others. Because our call comes over and above. Every other thing in life. That is when you come under God's order. Jesus is absolutely under God's order from the cross. What is flowing is life. No havoc, no flood, no destruction. It is life that is flowing. That's why God is telling us, come under my order. Wherever the Father sends us, wherever Christ sends us. There was immense pressure on Christ's life from flesh and blood, from family, from religious structure to overflow the banks. His brothers will tell at the time of the festival, go to Jerusalem and show yourself. He tells them, your time is always, mine is set by God. The religious leader will say, show us a sign that we may believe. He says, not for me to decide. An unperverse and unbelieving generation asks for a sign. I'll give you one sign. My father will give you that sign three days and three nights. So we learn from Jesus his headship and his submission from Christ. We understand from him how he ordered his life. To us, God says, Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And principles in the Bible are given for everything. And we continuously learn from it and change accordingly so that in this last hour of time, More and more power of God is released in our life. Not for miracles. Not primarily for ministry. But that we have the power to overcome the powers of darkness. Which are being released like never before. That's why God says the last days. If God didn't shorten the days. Even the elect themselves would be destroyed. Therefore how much power of God do we need in these last days to overcome temptation. To overcome sin to overcome the pressure of the world, to overcome the very devil himself. God says, come and fall under order. Power will be released. So, one of the first principles of God establishes for building on this foundation. Normally we are looking at foundations on Sundays. Is in Genesis two twenty-four. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's not a wedding message, but okay. He definitely was not talking about Adam and Eve. He was setting guidelines for humanity. Leave, cleave, become one. Remember, father and son and spirit, father and son are one, yet two. Two, yet one. Equal, yet headship is that of the father. So he's setting us a pattern from the Trinity. Okay, this is how it is. That the principle of separation is for every man so that headship may be established. Principle of separation is for every man so that headship may be established. Usually when God gives a command, he will give you at least two examples. One of obedience, one of disobedience in his words, so that we learn from both. We know the example of Rebecca. I'm not getting into Okay, We all know so much about Rebecca and Isaac. When the marriage was settled and her family wanted her to stay back for 10 days and have the festivities, the choice is finally left to Rebecca. In Genesis 24, 48, 58, when Rebecca was asked, Will you go with this man? She said, I'll go. I will go? She said, yes. What is happening? There is a shift of stepping out from the headship of our father or brother, whichever case, because we don't see the father talking, we see Laban talking, from the headship of the father willingly going under the headship of a man, Isaac she shifts, she says, I will go. Immediately. There's no hesitation. I will go. The separation was complete. And she goes to become the wife of Isaac. What is her first act when she finds out who that man is? When she asks Eliezer, who is that man? He says, that's your Lord, Isaac. What's the first act? Genesis 24, 65 says, For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. And the first thing she does is, she covers herself saying, I come under your headship. A first act of Rebecca as she's going to meet Isaac, is that the head of Rebecca will always be Isaac. I have moved out of Laban's and my father's house. You are my head. First act. Why? Because scripture says the head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. And where is Isaac? Isaac scripture says he's in the fields meditating. So here is a man acknowledging you are my head. And here is a woman as soon as he sees that godly man acknowledging you are my head. God's order is established in one family. One family. His order is being established. Later they have sons, two sons, twins and they are of marriageable age and Esau goes ahead, doesn't ask, seek advice, counsel, goes and marries whoever he wants. There's a whole set of events that take place and Jacob is about to leave and listen to Rebecca. Concerning the marriage of her sons. In Genesis 27 verse 46. Rebekah said to Isaac. I am weary of my life. Because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth. Like these who are the daughters of the land. What good will my life be? Who has married the daughters of Heth? Esau. Isaac also commands Jacob. In Genesis 28 verse 1. 28 and verse 1. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. And said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. The father is blessing the son. Here, bless. Now, you want your blessing to continue, let me give you a charge. Don't marry from here. God tells us in his word, in Second Corinthians 6 verse 14, he says, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Isaac and Rebekah did not want Jacob to marry an unbeliever in the land of Canaan of the daughters of Heth. Heth means terror or dread. Those who have been by ignorance or willful choice been unequally yoked with unbelievers know the dread and the terror that's there in a marriage when they want to walk with God. That's what Heth means. That's why the name is very clear. These are not just historical records. These are given spiritually to know that. Do not marry the daughters of Heth or the sons of Heth. Whichever case it may be. Because it will bring dread or terror into your married life. Then starts Jacob's story. We know he runs, he meets, he falls in love with Rachel. Gets tricked into marrying Leah. And then Rachel works for 14 years. Jacob made the fundamental mistake in his life for the 20 years of not separating from Rachel's father's house. Therefore, he faced constant problems for 20 years with his wives and children. As long as he lived with Laban, he would never become the head of the house as directed by God. It's very difficult preaching these things in India because everybody wants to stay together. Okay, so finally it comes to the point he's desperate. In Genesis 31 and verse 7, Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. He says 10 times I had enough. 10 is the number of judgment. Number of judgment. God says I'm judging you. Because you deceived your father deceived your brother. You don't have to do anything to receive my blessing. You don't get blessings of God through deception. So you need to go through judgment. 10 years. 10, not 10 years. 20 years, 10 times. Okay. He's desperate. At the end of 20 years and 10 judgments by his uncle. God uses the wicked to judge the righteous. You need to understand that so that they will come to their senses. In desperation, when his wives agreed to leave, but secretly, because he was afraid, in verse 20, you will see, and Jacob stole away. Unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. He was afraid. He stole away. When Laban was away, he ran off from the house with his wife and his children and all his flocks, everything. Laban will pursue him and catch up with him. But if you listen to Laban's words, we will see Jacob had never established himself as the head of his home. You listen to Laban, you will know Jesus, Jacob never had nor could establish as the head of his house. In Genesis 31 and verse 26, Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters? Laban still considers Rachel and Leah to be his daughters and not Jacob's wife. Why? Because Jacob would never establish headship over his house when living with his father-in-law. Laban's hold on Jacob's family was complete. In verse 28, And he did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. He talks about his grandchildren, which are Jacob's sons and daughters, as his. Your children. Not your children, my children. Why? You're living under my roof, right? Who told you you are the head? I am the head. That's why the principle in Genesis 2, you need to separate so headship can be established in every home according to God's order. As long as Jacob remained with Laban, he was just a servant. Though he was a son-in-law, he was just a servant. And Galatians 4, one says, Now I say to you that the heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave. He's a servant. You are the heir. Are you the heir to the promise, Jacob? Yes, I am the heir to the promise, blessed, highly favored. Really? You're just a servant. Why? Because you never separated. Jacob was the heir to the promise made to Abraham. But he never separated himself for 20 years from this servant realm. There must be a day in our walk with God when he no longer considers us as servants. John 15, 15, Jesus will say, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. We become his friends when we do whatever he tells us. This is when he will tell us all things he has heard from the father. And he will not reveal this in the servant realm. He will not Reveal this in the servant realm. This was Jacob's position in his father-in-law's eyes. And his wife's and his children. Because the power of control was in Laban's hands. Genesis 31 and verse 29. It is in my power. Laban says, to do you harm. But the God of your Father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Laban is very clearly saying, I am no head. I am the head. And I have the power to harm you. If I want, I can take you back. Your wives, your children, your flocks, I can take them back. But there is a divine intervention. Your God intervened and said, leave you alone. Leave you alone. 20 years after marriage, Jacob was not the head of his house. Was not the head of his house. This will have an incredible effect on his children. Because for the first 20 years of his life, when the first 11 children of his family are born, so the first 10 actually will bring judgment upon him. Because they are children born under the headship of Laban. But the 11th one is born... Late and he gets out of Laban. So Jake, Joseph will be a righteous guy. And Benjamin will be hidden. You need to understand what happens to children. When they are not brought up under the order and the headship God has ordained. That's where the first ten are actually judgment upon Jacob's life. But the eleventh one who is born towards the end comes out and comes under Jacob's headship. In verse 19, Genesis 31 and verse 19, you see something. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. When Rachel left with Jacob, she stole her father's gods. Why? Because in her mind, though she was living with her husband, her head was still Laban, her father. Therefore, his gods were her gods. Is going with her husband. But in her heart, her father is the head. So she takes his gods along with her. The home is a miniature, basic unit of the church. If the headship of Christ is not established in the man, then Christ is not the head of the man. Doesn't matter how many plaques beautiful you have around the house. Saying Christ is the head of the house, he is not the head of the house if that man is not under the headship of Christ. That's how the order comes. If the husband is not the head of the wife, then Christ is not the head of the home. And if God's order is not established, God cannot release his authority and power and his provision into our lives to overcome the devil. That's what we need to overcome. We can overcome many things, but we need to overcome the devil. Yet, there is the promise. In Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give you authority. I give you what? Not power. And I will make it power, but actual word exosia is used over there. I give you authority. Honestly, do you think you have more power than the devil? No, but we have authority. Where does that authority come? That authority comes when we come in God's order. I give you authority, exosia authority. Yet, that authority to defeat all the power of the enemy. Not the world, not flesh and blood. All the power of the enemy is released only by submission to God's headship. If the headship of Christ is not established in a man, then Christ is not established in the home. Today we are only talking about men. Okay, We are not talking about women at all. That probably will be next Wednesday. But about man. The first call is to man. Establish the headship of Christ in your life. As Christ established the headship of his father in his life. Therefore the father at one point says. All power. All authority I give it to you because you have exercised the principle of submission to the uttermost and therefore I release all authority and power into your hands. If the husband is not the head of the wife, again Christ's order has not been established. Therefore we become open to the attack of the devil with no power to resist. Though the promises are there. It's one of the greatest promise each one of us need fulfilled to overcome, to become an overcomer when we stand before God. Where God is able to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy, take authority, power over ten nations or ten cities or whatever. This is the greatest of those promises. Behold, I give you authority to trample, not have been hit, trample upon serpents and scorpions over, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. They can't do anything to you, he says. The devil couldn't do anything to Jesus. Men did. devil couldn't. Even by what men did, the devil was defeated. The devil couldn't do anything to Jesus. Understand how it works because it comes under God's order. Are we heirs of this promise? Yes. Is Jacob the heir of the promise? Yes. But is there God's order in his home? No. For 20 years there is no order. So God has to pull him out by making him miserable. Ten judgments to fulfill his plan in his life. But Rachel refuses in principle to accept Jacob's headship by taking her father's idols. If Christ is the head of Jacob. Rachel won't accept Christ. She will accept Laban's God. So like the children of Israel, after their tenth rebellion, perished in the wilderness on the way to the promised land because they refused to accept the headship of Moses. Do you know that? That's what they said the tenth time. Who is this fellow Moses? Who is this? fellow, Moses, let's elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. God said, done. Over. For you. Now, you will die without possessing the promises. And they all died in the wilderness. Never reached the promised land. We are not talking about salvation. We are talking about possessing, becoming an overcomer. Therefore, because Rachel refused to accept the headship of Jacob in her life, she too will die before reaching Bethlehem. Because she has to die. Because he is the heir of the promise. She too will die. But she will die at childbirth. Because God wants her child. But he's saying, you have been judged in childbirth. Though you have brought forth the hidden one, the overcomer, you will die even as you bring him out. Because you are defeated. Because you refuse to accept the headship of your husband. Same story with Rebecca too. The minute she steps outside the headship of a blind Isaac, she will fade away. She will never see Jacob again, the overcomer. So the kingdom of God is based on principles of order. The kingdom of the devil is also based on a different principle. The kingdom of devil is based on the principle of Rebellion. While the kingdom of God is based on the principle of voluntary submission unto obedience. How is kingdom of devil based? In Isaiah 14 and verses 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend, I will exalt. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the further sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. What is happening over here? This is the principle of rebellion. In the principle of rebellion, the devil is saying I will lift myself and go against God's ordained order. I will go above my head. God says every time you try to go above your head, I will pull you down, 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 down. It doesn't work. The more you try to go up your order and order, the more I will pull you down. And finally he says, I will cast you down into the lake of fire. The kingdom of God is based on the principle of voluntary submission unto obedience. And you will see that in Philippians 2, verse 5 and 11. What Jesus comes and says, Let this be mind in which you who was also in Christ Jesus, who being in form of God. What does it mean? That he was at the highest place. Unlike the devil, at the highest place. God Almighty, equal with the Father at the highest place. It was not robbery to be considered equal with God for him. But what did he do? Made himself of no reputation. Because that's our major issue. If somebody is told to do something, it becomes an ego issue. How can you tell me to do something? Don't you know who I am? Jesus said I have no such issue dad you can tell me anything even to die on the most despicable death on the cross I will obey because I have no reputation other than to glorify you. Made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant coming in the likeness of men not even the likeness of angels likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he's still going down he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death not just any death Death, even death on the cross. He went as far as down you could go in the Roman age. Because in the Roman age, that death was specifically kept for the worst, the most painful, most humiliating death where you are publicly stripped naked and crucified and left to die. Sometimes it takes days before you die. There was no worse death. And he said, that's okay with me, Dad. If that's your will for me. He went... As low as possible in his life. And then scripture says. Therefore God has lifted him up. Up and up and up and up. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of those in heaven. And those on earth and of those under the earth. This is the principle in God's kingdom. This is the order he has established. And he doesn't change his order. He doesn't change his order. These two kingdoms are utterly opposed to each other because they are based on absolutely, totally different principles. One is based on a principle of rebellion to exalt themselves. The other is built on a principle of submission unto obedience to the order established by God. So therefore, throughout scripture we will see God is saving his people from one kingdom, the kingdom of rebellion and therefore the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into another, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of obedience. Therefore throughout the letters of Paul we are told to put off the old man of rebellion and put on Christ of meekness and over. Put off that old man of rebellion. Put on Christ. One is a man of rebel, rebellion, the devil. The other is a man of meekness and of obedience. And as we close, we will look at Ephesians 4, 21-24. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, if you really. He's not talking about, he says, Paul is saying, I'm writing to you, I'm preaching to you. But if you have heard him through my preaching, if you have understood him through my letters, him, if you have heard him, Christ, And been taught by him, not by me. By his very spirit, He's teaching you. As the truth is in Jesus. It's not in my letters. It's not in my preaching. It's not in my eloquence. The truth is in Jesus. Then put off. Concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt. More. See, the old man is also growing. If you feed him. He's growing more and more. And more corrupt. And more and more deceitful. According to the deceitful lust. And be renewed. In the spirit of your. Mind. That is the mind of Christ. The mind of submission. The mind of Christ. That you put on the new man. Which was created according to God. In true righteousness. And true holiness. True righteousness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same. They are different. But true righteousness And to holiness. This is the principle on which God's kingdom is built. And we don't understand this. We'll get carried away. By all the things that are happening around. We'll get fooled. The greatest thing to be fooled. Is to be fooled. By public opinion. Public opinion. That's what happens in the old and the new covenant. Public opinion. Meaning public opinion means what? That's the, the fallacy of democracy. Majority always wins, even if they are wrong. Majority voted, Britain is out. Majority voted, Britain is out. Who is right? Nobody knows. For once, I believe the majority is right. Once I believe the majority is right, but they're going to be punished because for once the majority voted against the interests of the devil and the new world order, and they're going to be punished so severely that no other European nation will dare now to get out of EU. That's why it's crashing, crashing, crashing. European banks have lost $3 trillion after Britain exited. U.S. alone has lost 400 billion dollars from their banks after Britain exited. Why? Because the end is here and the new world order is not going to let any country stop them. And we are sitting and thinking about dreams and careers. The end is here. Maybe this is the beginning of the economic chaos prophesied. I don't know. I'm not setting any timeline, but read and see what's happening. See what's happening. We are living in dangerous times. and dangerous times, we need all the power of God that is available. And you know what he says? He gave his son his spirit without measure. And he says, it's available to you and to me too. His spirit without measure to overcome. Overcome. Like I said, the three things you have to overcome. Our flesh, which leads to sin. The world... Which entices us with his deceitful lust. And the devil. So that he can have one more on his side. But we can win this battle. If we understand how God's principle of his kingdom works. That's what Jesus came to show. Not only paid for our salvation. He also showed us the way. Showed us the way. Next Wednesday. If the Lord tarries to come and we are all alive and gathered here, ladies, it's your turn. Be prepared, okay? Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh, the exceedingly incredible love you have towards us. As Paul prayed and wrote to the Ephesian church, that our eyes may be opened. Our eyes truly may be opened. What you have reserved for us. Oh Father in these last days. Truly give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we might know who you are. and We might know who we are. What the call of God in our life is. That everything have already done and set before us to finish this race as an overcomer. When death has lost its power over those who are saved, there's nothing the devil can do. But there is order in thy kingdom. Help us. Help us, O oh Lord, as men today, especially as men to whom today's word was addressed. To come under the headship of Christ. As Christ came under the headship of God his Father. Help us daily to come under your headship Lord Jesus. To align our mind, our will, our thoughts and our works under your headship. that you may release your authority and power into our homes through us our knee our homes need power to overcome the attacks of the enemy over our children the children around the world have become rebels and lost in this world you said one more time You will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. But for that, oh father, the fathers have to come under the headship of Christ so that power may be released to call the children back. Back to your home, back to your house. Help us to know your purpose in these last days before the terrible Day of the Lord. Yes, the word also prophesies the parents will turn against children and children will turn against parents and betray each other. But also the word promises to those who come under headship that the children will come back from the enemy's land. We choose to believe the promise given to the obedient. All our children shall come back from the enemy's land. They shall be taught of the Lord and grace shall be their peace. But for that I pray every man here, every father here will allow the headship of Christ to be established in his life. Help us, O Lord, each day to walk in your presence. We thank you We praise you. We worship you. The call of God in our lives. Thank you, Father. Help us to find our contentment in you and you alone. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.